Hi, I'm Susan Clark. And I'm Chris Marie Campbell. Welcome to the Beauty of Conflict podcast. Have you ever wanted to take some of what you've learned on the podcast to the next level? Well, check out our new step-by-step, easy-to-use team kit to get your team from avoiding conflict to discovering the beauty in conflict. To learn more, go to www.thriving.com forward slash team kit. That's www.thriveinc.com forward slash T-E-A-M-K-I-T. Well, welcome to the Beauty of Conflict. This is Susan, and today I have the privilege of interviewing Stephen Howard. He's a best-selling leadership author, award-winning leadership author. He has written 21 leadership business and motivational books and is the editor of nine professional and personal development books in the Project You series. His latest book is How Stress and Anxiety Impact Your Decision-Making. That's a hot topic right now. <laughs> you know, his book, Better Decisions, Better Thinking, Better Outcomes, How to Go from Mindful to Mindful Leadership, received a silver award from the Nonfiction Authors Association. He's also won leadership lessons from the Volkswagen Saga. That sounds quite interesting, which won three prestigious publishing industry awards in 2017, Press Award, National Indie Excellence Award, and San Francisco Book Festival Award. He's also the author of Great Leadership, Words of Wisdom. Howard is well-known, Steve, I'm going to call you Steve since I'll probably be calling you that today, is well-known and recognized for his truly international and multicultural perspective, having lived in the U.S. for over 30 years, Singapore for 21 years, and in Australia for 12 years. He currently resides in Southern California. All right. So, Steve, welcome to the show. That's a very warm welcome. Thank you very much. (laughs) Well, you've been busy. 21 books. That's pretty impressive. I don't have a social life. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know about that. I I figure that's what comes out of mindfulness. You're going to tell me more about that today, I'm sure. Happy to. Yes. So I know... I mean, one of the things I I just want to start off by asking the very thing that I was really struck by when you reached out, when I got your bio and that idea of being a first responder versus a first reactor. So I want to hear the story because I love that. And I think it's so critical today more than how can we be better first responders? So tell us the story. Before I do, first, I just want to tell you, I love the name of your show, The Beauty of Conflict, because most people don't see conflict having beauty to it. So, uh, But the story is, it's, it's quite interesting. When I did live in Asia, I learned to scuba dive, and I got certified up to rescue diver. And the first thing they teach you as a rescue diver is when someone's yelling, help, 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 you know, out in the water, you just don't jump off the boat and start swimming. <laughs> You got to assess the situation. Are there fishing nets that you you could get tangled up in? Uh, is there oil in the water? Is there a current on the surface that's different than underneath? And obviously, you know things like jellyfish and sharks and anything like that. And plus, if you do just jump off, if you just react, chances are you're going to forget a fin or forget something. And it's not a lot of fun swimming, you know, to rescue somebody with only one fin. So we learn to respond. And you know, our EMTs around the world are the same thing. That's why they're called first responders. They're you know they they come across a car accident. They just don't jump out of the ambulance or the fire truck and go running to the car to see if, you know, they want to see if it's on fires or gasoline, you know, is, how's the traffic? You know, they don't have to put themselves in danger. That's my message to leaders, particularly organizational leaders, but anybody, quite frankly, we live in a world of, you know, 24-7, react, 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 react. And every time somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I need a decision. Boom, we give them a decision. I'm trying to teach people to slow down, 
Use a little bit of mindfulness, as you, as you suggested there. Slow down, ask questions, respond to people, events, and situations. Don't react to them, and you'll make better decisions. So that's the story. I love it. And I mean, you know, I just think of in today's world where sometimes just walking into a grocery store, you see somebody who doesn't have a mask on or does have a mask on or, you know, whatever. And, you know, I know I I can be very guilty of it. I jump to my reactivity about you should or, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, I when I saw that, I thought, ah, yeah, I'm going to go grocery shopping as a first responder, not a first reactor today. You know, I just thought it was a good way to kind of hold things right now with so many issues that it's so easy to jump to a conclusion. And we don't necessarily know. And we, and we don't know people's situations. And, and look, we're all human. Look, I, I've been preaching this now for a couple of years. And look, I still, I get angry. I mean, somebody cuts me off in traffic and I can get, I can react. Right, you know. <laughs> Rather than, you know, respond to that would be more like, well, maybe that person's an emergency or maybe that whatever that person has, you know, let them go. Don't let it ruin my day. So that's responding to it rather than reacting to them and blowing your horn or giving them a hand signal that is kind of universal that yes. we all know. <laughs> yeah. And I, I also, also really like this and I want to say it slowly because if I say it too fast I kind of mindful versus mindfulness which I think is also quite a good distinction and a, an important one so and one you really have been focused on it seems like kind of all the way around so it is, and it goes a little bit to the decision making, but just in general, look, mindful two words. So going from mindful as two words to mindful as one word. Mm-hmm. Look, we run on autopilot and we just make so many decisions. You know, we make up to 70,000 decisions a day. Now, most of them we're not even conscious about, like which shoe do you put on first, your left shoe or your right shoe? And if you have laces, do you, which one do you lace up first? You know, all kinds of, you know, where do we put our keys, our purses, you know, makeup kits, whatever. But so often we, our brains are so busy. And what happens when our brains are busy is we tend to make binary decisions or our brain, our actual brain only allows us to make binary decisions. So binary being two, yes or no, black or white, A or B, this or that. And very often, particularly on critical decisions, you need to look for more options. You need to think about, well, what about C or D or what if I combine C and A together? What is that going to mean? And so we need to slow down, which is the response thing we just talked about, but also clear our brains. Don't be so busy brain or some people call it monkey brain. Hmm. And then we make these snap decisions and then we have to course correct. So that's all about. Well, I, I really like that idea that you brought up about the binary aspect of it. And our brains, like, I mean, we often talk about this related to conflict because, you know, too often people get in a position of right, wrong, best, the best decision, and really creative decisions come out of the tension of that place of holding a space, which is in a, in a team, kind of like the same version that you're saying we need to be in in our minds, like more room for more possibilities so that we can actually get to something that's outside of what we already know. And it is. And I, I mean, look, I used to be in marketing before I got into leadership coaching and look in marketing, it's all ideas. And, you know, and a lot of us in marketing have big egos and I, I admit I was <laughs> one of them. And, you know, my idea is always the best, right? right? So you get in a conversation, but then you start, if you really separate that ego from it, you go, now, wait a second, Susan's got an idea. Marie's got an idea. Jody's got an idea. Paul's got an idea. Now, if we took 
aspects of these, all these ideas combined. Wow. Now we've got a good product. Now we've got a good brand. And so that kind of cognitive conflict. And again, going back to name your show, which I love, it's the beauty of conflict. Cognitive conflict is wonderful. It's that interpersonal conflict in the workplace that's damaging and also leads to poor decisions. And I mean, how many times have we all made a decision because, you know, I don't like Paul and Paul said this, so I'm going to go the opposite because I don't like Paul. And that, <laughs> that kind of personal conflict leads to very bad decisions. It does. It does. And, you know, I mean, the, the other thing is how do you get comfortable? Because we are emotional beings. We don't get mm-hmm. rid of And that's an important part of who we are, because if we're not dealing with our emotions, I would imagine that just generates, well, I know it generates even more incomplete stress aspects and yet you know but we're so we don't like certain ones or we tend not to pay enough attention to them or you know let them move through and i think in that form of mind mindful the one word (laughs) you have more of an opportunity to let the emotional aspect of it even if it's an interpersonal thing you know give it let it move and not let it control you that's i think really the key to that is, you know, oh, be an allowance. Yeah, it's okay if I feel this way. And there's more. Yeah. And you know, that's a lot of what I've been teaching leaders lately, Susan, is to understand that people don't leave their emotions in the car park or at the door or when they're working remotely, they don't leave their emotions before they get onto a Zoom call. It's okay to have your emotions, how you express your emotions. Obviously there, you know, there, you can get angry, but you know, throwing something across the room is not appropriate. So there's, you know, but having your emotions, owning your emotions, understanding how your emotions are impacting your decision-making or your interactions with other people. I'll tell you, what there's one silver lining I see coming out of this pandemic is that I'm finding that people are starting to think we need to be kinder to each other. Yeah. We need to be more understanding of each other. We've all gone through this. And a, a great example I have is I was working with a leader in a large organization probably about 12 months ago. So we were like five or six months into the pandemic at the time. And he was really upset because so many people were dropping off their Zoom calls and they you know, had you know, cats and dogs in the background or kids. And then the morning I was speaking to him an hour before, his internet went out at his house. Now, you know, usually senior executives live in nicer neighborhoods, you know, better infrastructure. All and because he couldn't communicate with his peers in a management meeting, he got so mad and he said, this is what my people are going through. Now I now I need to be more empathetic. I have to be more understanding of them because now I see what they're going through. So it's put us all in a slightly more equal level, so to speak. Not completely, but we're starting to understand each other a little bit more. I think that is that could be a definite. You know, if there is a silver lining to this, for mm. sure, one of the one of the things. It's a great equalizer because you know, I mean, and there are still situations where, you know, some of us have more to get us through this than others. We haven't all been in the same, we've been in the same storm. We haven't been in the same boat. Absolutely. And that does make a big difference. But if we recognize, hey, we're in the same storm, we can have a lot more compassion for each other, I think. So big. So, well, I also know, I mean, I, I was also struck by, it sounds like a lot of your passion for this has to do with this with some of the thoughts, maybe it started with your father and Alzheimer's or something like that, because I'm very struck by that part of your story as well. So it did, because I moved back to the United States to be the primary caregiver for my father and 
about the last five years of his life. And for the last three years or so, he definitely had early Alzheimer's. And so I started researching, how can I be a better caregiver? Because let me tell you something, it's emotionally and financially devastating to look after an elderly parent who has that kind of memory. And my father was a writer also. He wrote fiction. So he had a, he had a really sharp brain until the last few years of his life. So as I was researching it, and I always thought it was strictly genetic. And that, and I have to you know, admit, I was selfish. I'm like, is this going to happen to me? And, you know, I'm single. I'm living alone. Who's going to look after me? But then the more I read, and scientists now are really proving that Alzheimer's and dementia have a lifestyle component to them. Yes, there is a DNA component. And, the, and it's almost like two separate diseases. There's the DNA version of it. It's kind of like COVID, you know, Delta version and A version. So there's a, there's a DNA version of Alzheimer's. And there's a lifestyle. And just an example, men who put on the most abdominal fat in their 40s have the highest risk for dementia in their 60s and 70s. And I wish I'd known that when I was in my 40s, let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I started researching because of my dad and then selfish. Then I started talking to business leaders and I started talking to to them about the needed for look after their brain health. And they, uh, everyone, uniformly say, I'll worry about that when I retire. I'm, you know, I don't have time for that. And then I started telling him, you know what? It impacts your decision-making today, which impacts your bottom line. And then they started saying, please come into my office. Let's talk. <laughs> and so I wrote the book, Better Decisions, Better Thinking, Better Outcomes. And then I, I created a workshop. It was a, a one-day workshop and it's now four 90-minute virtual sessions. And I've got facilitators around the world teaching this workshop to people, particularly leaders of how to slow down, respond, not react, make better decisions. And most importantly, start today to look after your brain health. Yeah, I think that, I mean, I get it right now. I'm dealing with my mother who's in her 90s, who's dealing with early dementia. And she too, very smart, bright woman. And, you know, it was interesting. I was actually reading through your book and we spend a lot of time, you know, I've spent a lot of time trying to support her because during COVID, the big thing was she didn't have enough contact either, which is another thing. You yeah. know, that's another factor in brain health, I think, the ability to connect and communicate. And that did help. I managed to find some ways to get her on Zoom, various things. And yeah. then, but I was thinking about the whole notion of the, when you talk about mindfulness and the breath and the slowing it down, and I don't know how often she does that. So I'm actually looking forward to spending a little bit, because now I can spend a little bit of time with her, because I think she would engage in some things like that. And, you know, from, I agree with you, it's never too late. I mean, it may be great if you start early, it's only going to help you. But I, I was struck by some of the research in what can happen just if you take a few moments. And, you know, not spend it. You don't have to become a Buddhist, you said, or a big meditator or take up yoga. You just need to slow your brain down. You do. And and you know what? The U.S. Navy SEALs have a technique, a breathing technique, and none of us have a job more stressful than a U.S. Navy Mm -hmm. SEAL. Now, they do this for five minutes before they go into a high-stress situation. I do it. Listen, I still fly. Mm -hmm. Getting on an airplane these days is highly stressful. So (laughs) I do this technique, and I'll happily share it with your your listeners here, is you breathe in deeply from your diaphragm, not from your lungs. Just breathe in for five seconds. (sighs) Big breath. And then hold it for five seconds. Three, four, five. And then a big exhale. Whoosh it out (sighs) for five seconds. Hold the exhale for five. Three, four, five, and repeat that. Now I do it, I do it to a count of eight, and I do it when I'm standing in the line to get on an airplane. And I'll just look at the tarmac and I just breathe in, I'll hold it, I'll exhale, I'll hold it, go through the cycle for about two to three minutes. And when I get on that airplane, I'm a lot more calm because doing this exercise automatically 
changes your autonomic system. You breathe deeper instead of shallower. You breathe slower. It reduces your stress. It reduces your blood pressure. And you can do this any place in the workplace. And I love people, that. Yeah. Uh, you know, so hopefully you guys got that because it's, I totally agree. That's a, that's a great one. I might be getting on a plane very soon. So I'm going to yeah. practice it. And it is something you can do because you don't, no one really knows. You're not doing anything. No. Nobody's looking at you, yeah, and you don't have to. You don't have to whoosh it out. I mean, if I'm in a business meeting around the conference table, I don't go. I just kind of breathe under my. Yeah. Breathe it out deeply and then hold it. Nobody's paying attention to me. So, uh, yeah, it's called box breathing. By the way, people can look it up. It's called box breathing. Okay. Well, great. Thank you. So what other tips do you have? Like what are some of the other important things, factors in helping people make better decisions? And even the title I thought was interesting, why it's better decisions, better thinking, better outcomes, because you could have you could have reversed that order. Let's just say that. That's a good observation, <laughs> Susan. I mean, uh, yeah, and here and here's the reason why. So the most, a lot of, some people actually said that also. So shouldn't it be better thinking and then better decision? And I said, no, the first decision goes back to our original story. The first decision is don't get emotionally hijacked because when you get emotionally hijacked, which is the amygdala at the back of your brain and it's shooting cortisol into your system and into your brain, and now you are going to become emotional and you're going to make an emotional decision. So the first decision, so the better decision is tell yourself, okay, I've realized I'm getting upset. I need to calm myself down. Now, one way to do that is ask questions. Ask somebody a couple of questions. Well, what would you do? Or what do you think? And that allows your brain to focus on what they're saying instead of what you're thinking, get you into a rational state. So you get out of that binary decision-making mode we talked about. And, you know, it's interesting that science now can tell you it takes roughly eight seconds. Once you make a conscious decision, I'm not going to be rash. I'm not going to be emotional. I got to get myself in control. It takes about eight seconds for the prefrontal cortex, the rational control center at the front of your brain to take over. Now, I used to be told by my mom when I was a kid, Stephen, when you get angry, you can't throw things. You can't hit another child. Count to 10 when you find yourself getting angry. And I thought that was just mom being mom. Now science proves that mom was right. It, counting to eight is roughly 10 seconds. <laughs> so it, it's... It's that little rule there. So it absolutely does help you yes. to get under control. I like the idea of the big thing about it for me is the idea of choice. Like if you can, anytime you can take that pause and say, and you have a choice versus that gut, you know, like the reactive versus mm -hmm. the responsive. I tend to stay away from a non-emotional choice because I do think I think what you're saying, I want to keep coming back to this because we spend a lot of time telling people and leaders in particular, you are paid to make, your emotions are as important as your brain. So don't, you know, how you use your emotional landscape, that's a conscious choice, unless you choose to just try to get rid of them. And then you're back in reaction. So, um, you know, that 10 seconds, I'm gonna say it takes you out of reactivity versus emotional, <laughs> just so that it, you know, cause I, I think of sometimes a leader can be in a lot of pain or a lot of anger, but if they're calmer, they're going to make that choice and even be able to say that, and which can also normalize it for people. Like, yep, everybody gets upset. And it's perfectly fine to be really upset. It's what you do that matters. Exactly. Yeah. And whether you allow that being upset to influence or yeah. really structure thing. By the way, this applies to positive emotions too. Yeah. Being too happy, being <laughs> gleeful, you can make equally bad decision. I mean, I grew up in Las Vegas. The reason hotels keep getting built in Las Vegas, somebody goes on, we don't care in Vegas if you win a lot of money because eventually you're going to gamble 
gamble it back because everyone tells us I'm on a winning streak. I can't lose. I, I, and I'm going to keep doubling my money. Eventually, the odds are in the house's favor. Eventually, the house is going to win and they're going to build another hotel. And so you can make equally poor choices with, with good so emotions, point. so emotions, positive or negative, are going to impact your decision making. <laughs> yes. So, you know, better to be aware of them and make the choice from a conscious place. So, you know. And also, you know, as you say, if you if you're angry or you're worried or something, you follow that gut instinct, so to speak. That's a good signal that maybe this is a really important decision for you and you ought to be slowing down and thinking yeah. more about that decision. So I know I agree with you. Don't take, don't try and take your emotions away, understand your emotions, leverage them, leverage them to help you understand yourself. Yeah. And then make your decisions or your behavior, or your actions, but understanding that from a response standpoint, rather than a reactionary yeah. standpoint, total. I think, it, you know, I think if we could get to that point, we would have more because, you know, there are reasons why some people are angry or enraged about things that are going on in the world right now. But we don't really know how to listen to that rage without getting, you know, either defending or caught up in our own stuff about it versus yeah. being able to sit in hearing somebody who needs to express something. And that I think is a huge leadership skill that is hard sometimes to be able to, okay, hold the space, like take, and that yeah. I think the mindfulness will help with that, like allow people to maybe vent, but don't, you don't necessarily have to. Don't react to it. Don't, yeah, don't react to it. So, and, you know. And if you combine what I talk about in this book with what Stephen Covey wrote years ago, and it's actually a human, not just a leadership thing, but you know, I love what he said. Stephen Covey, it's not me. He said, one of our problems as human beings is that we listen with the intent to respond, not with the intent to understand. Right. And, it, and if you start to say, wait a second, let me, let me understand the other person's viewpoint or the whatever, then I can respond to it rather than react to it. So I think he's got a very good point. I think that's really important because I know, you know, if I, I don't necessarily have to agree with somebody, but if I can fully understand their position, mm -hmm. It makes all the difference in the world because usually most people don't have to get their way. They need to know that they've been heard, exactly. that their positions have been acknowledged. And often what ends up happening is the bonus is new information comes in and, and the different decision might be made. You don't exactly. know. But yeah, that's, a, that's a, a very important, even not just in business, but with couples. You know, how many times have I seen a couple you know, defending their point before they actually even ever understood the other person's point of view. You know? well, I yeah, you know, totally so. agree with that. Yes. <laughs> no. Happens happens in the world. <laughs> happens anywhere. There are more than two people, really. More than one person. Yeah, you know. So now sometimes we can be in conflict with ourselves. Like we just true. don't recognize it. <laughs> well, that's probably even. I mean, I would imagine in the work that you're talking about in terms of helping people make decisions, there's a lot of internal conflict that comes up in a decision-making process for a leader. Like what's the best thing, it might be one thing that's best for me or the company. And then there's like, could be very different for people involved or for my family. And that's an internal decision sometimes. Or the world, that can, or the, world the climate, yeah. uh, but also even worse in, in many organizations, they don't even think about what's best for the organization. They think about what's best for my department. And this is where the silos take effect and people don't collaborate across 
different functionalities for the greater good of the organization. Right. They're just so worried about the... Interesting, I had a, a gentleman I was coaching one year and he said, yeah, I'm, I'm all for collaboration. And this is in the United States and fiscal years in January. He says, I will collaborate with anybody in the organization. He said this in a seminar I was running up until the first week of September. And we go, well, what happens after that? He says, what happens after that is the fourth quarter. My bonus is dependent on my results of me and my team. And in the fourth quarter, that's all we're going to focus on. Oh, wow. And he admitted it. He admitted it because again, organizations, how do they how do they reward people? They reward people on individual results or a business unit results, not on collaboration across the functionality. That's such a true statement and a great example. I mean, you kind of wish everyone would be as honest as that guy to, because then you kind of know what you're dealing with versus, exactly. you know, we trying to cover that up. But, and I think people get siloed when they don't really have shared collaborative goals. And, exactly. you know, that's not always easy for leadership teams to address. Like, how do we get to a goal that is actually important to us all? Because people fight over strategies. Yep. They don't usually, if you can get to a good why, you can usually, you know, people from all sorts of differences will get on board. That's tough. And if they get the strategies in agreement, then they fight over resources. Who should get the resources? The sales team, the marketing team, you know, what's more important, advertising or sales? Is it the East Coast sales or the West Coast sales? Is it the Europe sales? Is it the Asia Pacific sales? I mean, people just constantly fight over resources as well. So that's, as you know, that's where conflict comes from. True, true. And, you know, it is also, you know, I'm going to put in another poll, though, for that, for my emotional landscape, because the one place where those things don't happen is often in a business is in, say, a hospital emergency room. I've worked in a lot of hospitals. The areas have all sorts of problems between them until they all come in when somebody's life is on the line. Sure. And then it's amazing. All of that, that emotional, like this matters, this really counts, gets put aside and they're yep, suddenly yep. working together. And it's like, okay, you know, that same thing, you need to have some sort of emotional connection to what you're doing, you know, where you can decide, oh, this is worth some discomfort if we disagree or staying in the mess. And that, I mean, I think that's another thing where when we don't have that, we tend to kind of make decisions really fast just based on mental information numbers. Yeah. Yep. And that is not always the best way to make decisions either. Yeah, I see that happening. I've seen that happening in crisis situations. I lived in Asia when the Boxing Day tsunami hit December 26th. And then you saw people across cultures, across organizations, even competing companies would help each other out. You see that you know, in, in the hurricanes and tornadoes and stuff. So natural disasters. I mean, we saw that in the United States after 9-11, but unfortunately, it lasted all about eight months or nine months. And then the vision started up again. So I understand that when there's a crisis situation, people can come together. But unfortunately, I think too many people, when it, when we get out of that crisis, they go back to the pettiness and the arguing and the, the focus on what's best for me, what's in it for me, what's in it for my team rather than what's in it for the organization or my community or, or the country or the world. Right. You know? And I would imagine based upon you know what I think you're saying is I think anytime we can expand our ability to take that pause to slow down, I think we are more likely to not just have better resources of our brain, but we access our heart, we access our yes. entire body, we access, so we have more facility to think beyond our own personal 
experience. We That's do. How, and you know. I think the successful companies and organizations of the future will will leverage that more. I mean, some like that already do. You you look at the Zappos with their shoes and buy one and we donate one to you know people in poor countries. I know a gentleman who did some sandals, I think he called it combat sandals, where you bought a pair of sandals, money went to Afghan girls' schools, girls' schools in Afghanistan, because he was a US vet who fought in Afghanistan. So you see some companies moving in that direction. I hopefully that will be our if not my view, the future that I live in, the future of children and grandchildren. Hopefully that's where we come, we go forward. Yeah, that would be a, I always think coming <laughs> out of this, if we could come out of COVID and learn anything, we've had a lot of time to spend, Yeah. you know, at home or in a solitary space sometimes or six mm-hmm. feet away from each other. It might be a good, you know, maybe we could come out of it a little more collaborative. I, I'm hoping so. I, I hope so too. I yeah. hope so. Again, I think that may be the silver lining out of it. Now, not everybody. That's Some people, you know, going to go back to the, what they want. They want to retreat to the old normal. Right. But I think a lot of people are going to come out of this and say, you know what? That didn't work. That wasn't as, you know, things are more important than just money or a new car, you know, this, let's, let's focus on quality of life, not just quality of work. Yeah. And I think, you know, when we get there and begin to that, I also think helps the brain, the neuroplasticity Mm -hmm. of the brain thinking beyond, like they always talk about the usefulness of gratitude and how that from a brain science point of view does make a huge difference. And, you know, haven't, found that one to get into the boardroom as frequently yet as some other things, but it's going to get there. You know? <laughs> so. And if not in the boardroom, at least the entrepreneurs, I mean, the people starting new companies and, you know, are looking at things of that nature, realizing that, you know, work is not everything. And so it may not, you know, it may not be the fortune 500 or fortune thousands, but, and yes, they're important to the economic uh-huh. engines of the world, but you know, there's a lot of companies out there. There's a lot of consultants out there. There are people doing like you're doing, you know, talk shows and podcasts and spreading the message like this, that it's going to have an impact. Okay. Without a doubt. So any like final words of wisdom that you would, I mean, I love that you gave the five minute breathing technique when you get on a plane or any stressful situation. <laughs> I think that's great. Any other quick tips? I'd la- just a little phrase I use. And I would just say, remember this phrase, slow down the speed up. Yeah. And you don't have to rush through life. You don't have to rush through business. Just slow down, learn to respond because you'll make less mistakes. You'll make like that. better optimal decisions. I mean, people are making good decisions, but they're not optimal decisions. Then they have to course correct. So slow down, think, breathe, ask good questions, and then you'll speed up with fewer errors. I like that. Okay. So tell people where they can find you and how to you know, get some more input from, from you if they're well, all my books are on Amazon. So Stephen Howard, Stephen with the V, the books are there. One of the key books right now is called how stress and anxiety impacts your decision-making. That's for everybody. It's just not leaders. My website is Caliente leadership.com. Caliente is C-A-L-I-E-N-T-E leadership. And those, you know, Spanish knows that means hot, but I use it because the second definition of Caliente is passionate. All I'm right. passionate, passionate about leadership. I'm passionate about teaching people. So reach out to me through, uh, you know, through the website or on LinkedIn. You can find me. It says Stephen Howard. I think it says the greater Los Angeles area. Reach out to me and uh, let's talk about you know where you need help in making better decisions or managing stress or anything I can do to help you. I'm happy to talk with you. All right. Thank you. And it's been fun to have you on the show. Just to- Thank you, Susan. Right. I enjoyed it. And okay. Have a great weekend when it gets there. Yes. 
Thanks for joining us. We hope you found today's episode valuable. We know you're busy, and we want to make it easy for you to understand how conflict may be showing up in a way that's impacting your team negatively. We recorded the first three chapters of our book for you to listen to for free. Get your free audio sample at thriveinc.com forward slash free sample. That's T-H-R-I-V-E-I-N-C dot com forward slash F-R-E-E-S-A-M-P-L-E.